Hi, thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. All right, well... I hope that puts you right in the mood to dive into some scripture this morning. Um, If you are new or visiting FBC, I just want to quickly make sure you know that we're not a church that um, pushes any kind of political agenda. We uh, like to teach what the Bible says about God, and sometimes we like to have fun doing that, which sometimes includes an awesome Donald Trump montage like that. Um, This idea of fake news is like, it's a big deal in our world because uh, there is fake news everywhere, and it's not just... Uh, in our media outlets, for sure it's there. It's everywhere. I mean, in conversation, in school, in our communities. I mean, even coming from ourselves sometimes. And we all uh, offer fake news to people in our lives. The world offers a lot of that. And a lot of times it comes for different reasons. Maybe it's because we have a lack of information, or maybe we have a bias or an agenda and we want to answer accordingly, or uh, maybe we just want to be able to answer something we don't quite know. And so we'll say kind of what makes sense. We'll fill in those blanks and just kind of go for it. Um, There are a lot of reasons that fake news exists, and it kind of exists everywhere. And I'd love to say that the church and Christianity are safe from this and that we're not part of that, but unfortunately and historically, uh, the church has been guilty of falling into this trap of offering fake news. And I'm sure most of us have experienced it to some degree. Maybe what you've experienced is like small and innocuous things, like maybe you were at camp one time or a Bible study and your cabin leader or the person leading it was talking about creation, and in order for, like, to offer a proof of creation, they said, did you know that women have one more rib than men? I don't know if you guys have heard that before, but that's, that's fake news. If you're still here, if you're here and you still believe that this morning, I'm just going to set you free from that. Uh, biologically speaking, equal number of ribs. Um, maybe you've heard about Darwin's, like, deathbed conversion, where he gives his life to Jesus and renounces evolution. Again, things that kind of come up as ideas, don't exactly know where they come from, that we use to kind of prove something, um, but it's not actually founded in reality. And those are small examples that don't really change much. Over the next four weeks, what, what we're going to be doing is looking at four statements that have often been associated with the Bible, with Christianity, with who God is, that we think actually, a lot of them kind of sound good, but they actually really tear at the fabric of who God is, uh, tear at the fabric of his character and what the gospel is really about and what scripture teaches. And the point of the series isn't to just be like, oh, that's wrong, that's fake news, and kind of rip it apart. But I hope that throughout this series, it, it reminds us to return to the simple practice of reading scripture, knowing it well, and when we hear fake news, just saying, no, that's, that's not true, and this is what we can know is true about who God is. So we're doing this for four weeks, and uh, we hope it's really helpful for you guys. Um, why don't you guys join with me really quickly as we pray, and then we'll hop in. God, thank you so much that you are the good news and that even though there's a lot of fake news in our world and maybe that's even come from us sometimes, that you are true and that you give us a proper perspective on reality. I pray as we dig in this morning and over the next few weeks that you would speak, you would show up, and you would continue to fill us with your truth and with your goodness, God. We love you so much. Amen. So for this morning's fake news, God helps those 
who help themselves. Um, whether you've heard it in church or not, I'm sure most of you have heard this statement before. And it's often been associated with Christianity. It's this idea, um, and, and it kind of sounds good, and it kind of makes sense in our human minds. God helps those who help themselves. We like that. I mean, it's kind of a call to self-initiative, self-agency, saying, you know, if, if you're doing some stuff, God will show up, and he'll, he'll help you with that, and he'll, he'll work alongside you with that, and he'll, he'll do stuff for you as well. He'll help you if you're helping yourself. It's kind of a call against laziness. It's saying, well, if you're just going to be lazy and you're not going to do anything, uh, then, you know, God, God won't help you. And, and this statement is often associated with uh, Benjamin Franklin. It's often attributed to him. Did a little bit of research. Actually goes back to the first, like, written account we have is from the 1600s from an English politician named Algernon Sidney. Um, I sound really smart right now. I just Wikipedia'd it. So, uh, like, I don't know anything else about this guy except that he uh, was the first record we have of this statement. And it's a statement that, you know, like I said, in a way, you know, we can kind of be like, yeah, I can kind of get behind that. Unfortunately, it shows up nowhere in the Bible, much like the other three statements we'll be unpacking this month. And it actually, I would say, gives us an unhealthy perspective on the character of God and how we can respond to this God. This idea that God helps those who help themselves um, to me, is a pretty false statement. And what we're going to do this morning is there are a lot of approaches we could take. I love narratives. I love stories from the Bible. There's so many. And so we're going to look at the story of a guy named Gideon. Um, and we're going to be starting in chapter 6. If you have Bibles or devices, you can feel free to open up. Um, but uh, we're going to be working through that a bit. And we're going to read some of it. Some of it I'll just paraphrase and go along. And we'll kind of just look at what we can get out of that. I'm going to give you a little bit of context for where we're at in Judges chapter 6. Um, so what's going on is the Old Testament is really this narrative, this giant story of God trying to experience relationship with his creation. He's created humans, and he's like, I love them, and I want to have relationship with them, and I want them to live in a way that honors me and honors themselves. But humans really struggle with this. I mean, they're sinful, and they're selfish, and they continue to reject God and turn away. And so the Old Testament is just this kind of like back-and-forth ping-pong story of like, you know, humans turn away from God, they rebel, things don't go well, they kind of turn back, and God helps them, and then they like rebel again, and just back and forth, and it's, it's, it's not good. Judges is kind of this like, in a way, I think like a condensed kind of allegory of the whole story where it's just like back and forth so many times where it's just like good, bad, good, bad. They're just like God turned evil, God turned to evil. And what would happen is the Israelites, when they turn away from God, he would just kind of let them do their thing. They would eventually be oppressed by another nation, some of their enemies. And then they would turn back to God and say, sorry, we've sinned. We've worshiped other gods. We want to turn back to you. And God in his grace and compassion would send what, what's called a judge, kind of like a ruler, usually a warrior, that would come and he would lead them to be freed and then they would experience a time of peace and then eventually they would turn away from God again. It's not, there's really no happy ending to the stories in Judges pretty much ever. And so we've just read in chapter five about, in, in the previous chapters about uh, Deborah and Barak and they've liberated uh, the Israelites from the Canaanite army who'd been oppressing them under King Jabin, the king of the Canaanites. And then we end up in chapter six and we'll read the intro together now. It says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. 
They came up with their livestock and their, t- their livestock and their tents, and like swarms of locusts. Sorry, I, that sentence. I, okay, let's try that one more time. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. There we did it. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. So this is a bad picture. I mean, all of Israel is essentially homeless at this point. They're just living in caves and mountains, little mountain clefts. They can't really grow crops. They can't really raise livestock because the Midianites, Malachites, and other Eastern people are just coming in. They're just taking it all. They're ruining their lives. And, and like, this is going on for like seven years. And this last sentence is so crazy. It, things got so bad that eventually the Israelites said, well, we should cry out to God. It's so bad. Let's turn back to God. So then we start in verse 7. It says, when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. This is a, so, so we see the issue that Israel has, and, and they're in a lot of trouble. They call out to God for help, and God shows up and kind of just recounts their sins against them. Like, this is, this is why this is going on. This is how bad you are. This is, like, not a fun picture. Like, if you've ever been in trouble as a kid, and then you, you, get, in, you get punished or whatever, and you go to your parents, like, I'm sorry, and what they do is just, like, recount your sins and what you've done wrong. So that's not the response you're hoping for. You're kind of like, oh, I was kind of hoping you'd be like, I'm not grounded, or, like, I can have my phone back or whatever. Um, but God shows up. He's like, I'm a good God. This is what I've done, but here's what you've done. So the tension builds, but then here, I mean, if this is like a, if this is like a, a story you're reading or a movie you're watching, this is where all of a sudden the lighting changes and gets a bit brighter. The, the music picks up a bit because all of a sudden we see this. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. This is like... This is the point of the story. This is kind of like this exciting climax where it's like, yes, here's the problem. Here's what's going on. But we found this mighty warrior. The angel has come and said, here's this mighty warrior. This epic music swells. Like I said, the lighting gets even brighter. Gideon's probably like glowing for some reason. And we're just like, oh my goodness, this is the epic warrior. And he's about to give this amazing epic speech in response to this call. And he is going to like liberate us because here is our hero, and here's the amazing, incredible words that come out of Gideon's mouth. Pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Man, what a bummer. <laughs> it's like, man, we found the epic hero. Here he is, and he turns. He's just like, no. It's like, I'm not going to do it. Gideon's threshing wheat in a wine press. So for those of you who don't know what that is, it's essentially a hole in the ground where they would crush grapes. So you've got this hole that's damp and gross and dark and probably smells like fermented grapes and has grape skins all over it. And he's threshing his wheat there. And, uh, you know, and he's doing this because he's scared. He's scared because 
the Midianites, the Amalekites, will come and steal it. So he's hiding in this gross hole doing this. This angel shows up, this reprieve, and this angel shows up, and Gideon pops his head out. He's like, oh, what's up, angel? And the angel says, you, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And as we're waiting for this epic battle speech, this epic battle cry, Gideon says, God? Is he really that good? I mean, what, does, what, does God say about, what does Gideon say about God? He says, he's abandoned us. Like, my, my grandparents, yeah, they told me about how he did this stuff in Israel, and it sounded cool. But, like, what's he done for us lately? Who is this God? This is a real depressing hero speech. And then it goes on. Uh, the angel says, um, you know, the angel argues with him. He says, no, Gideon, you're going to be the one to, like, rescue Israel from the Midianites. You're going to lead the charge, and you're going to crush the enemies. And at this point, finally, Gideon's like, no, I can't. He's like, my clan's the weakest clan. I'm the weakest of my... Like, Gideon's like, you don't understand, angel. I'm the weakest of the weak. Like, you think you've seen weak? Check me out. Like, I'm the weakest... Like, here's, like, my reverse resume, you know? It's like, I am so weak, you don't even... You, you can't even comprehend how weak I am. And then the angel's like, listen, man, you're going to do this thing. So Gideon finally is like, all right. If you're saying this, I'm going to make you prove it. I want you to give me a sign. So Gideon goes, he makes some soup, he makes some bread, and he kills a goat, so he's got meat. So he's got soup, bread, and meat, and he brings it back to the angel. And the angel says, pour out the soup, just get rid of it, which is like all-you-can-eat buffet etiquette 101. Don't waste your time on the broth. Eat the real stuff. And he's like, take the meat and the bread and put it on this rock. So Gideon does that. If it was me, I'd even get rid of the bread. Let's just stick with the lamb. But as he puts it on this rock, and the angel busts out his staff, touches it, and it just bursts into flames, and then the angel disappears. And this Gideon's like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. You know, you've probably heard a lot of like Sunday school versions of Bible stories growing up. Maybe you've watched Veggie Tales or just heard these stories. And this morning, I'm probably going to poke a couple holes, if you've heard this in kind of a kid-friendly version, poke a couple holes in the foundation of that, but hopefully to rebuild something better, deconstruct it a little bit to hopefully rebuild something better. Because I want to take an accurate look at what happens with Gideon here, because we read these stories, and we often think that the hero is the, is the new character in the story. But there's one hero of every biblical story, and it's the same every time, and it's God. It's the God who this, whose scripture is about, and he is always the hero. It's not Gideon. It's not anyone else. Because what happens, to finish off chapter 6, what happens is Gideon's like, okay, this is crazy. Like, this, this must be from God. So later that night, God shows up again. Gideon worships him, and God shows up again, and he says, okay, Gideon, what we need to do is we need to deal with some kind of issues going on in our own world first. And I think this is a really cool spiritual principle we can take from this narrative because God is calling Gideon to deal with the larger global problem. You guys are oppressed by Midian. This is a big issue. We need to go deal with that. But where does he start first? He says, let's start by cleaning up our own house a little bit first. I think a lot of us have a desire to, this is not really what the sermon's about. This is just kind of like a little bonus aside. A lot of us have like a desire to help others, to teach others, to encourage others, maybe even to challenge others. You know, maybe like, oh, you know, I've got this friend and they're struggling with this. Maybe I could just challenge them to kind of do a bit better or to work on this or choose this alternative or trust this into God's hands. And that's really good. One of the best ways we can make ourselves effective in that pursuit is to start here first and say, well, what's going on here? Because what God says to Gideon is he says, listen, man, we're going to go deal with your oppressors, but your dad, like in your own household, he has an altar to the false god Baal. He's got a pole to the false goddess Asherah. 
These are like objects of pagan worship. This is why you guys are in this trouble. We need to deal with that first, and then we're going to go out from there. So it says, Gideon, I want you to go to destroy that garbage. I want you to get rid of that false god stuff, those objects of pagan worship. So Gideon says, okay. So he gets a crew together, but he's scared. So they go at night. They sneak in, tear it all down. They worship God, and then they, they leave. The next day, people find out that Gideon had done this, and they're like, let's kill him. But Gideon's dad steps in, and he's like, listen, if these false gods are real, they'll deal with Gideon. They'll kill him. They'll, they'll punish him. We don't need to take that into our own hands. So the people say, okay, we won't kill Gideon. This is like really good parenting here. Someone's about to kill your son. You come up with like a really logical argument and just keep your child alive. Really solid here. And so he destroys his stuff. And it says that the Midianites and the Malachites and other Eastern nations, they get their crew together, they get their army together, there's this massive army, and they camp out. They're ready to go to war with the Israelites. This is going to be it. They're going to take out this homeless nation. So Gideon, it says the Spirit of God came on him, and he called his squad together. He got his army together. They got together, and they started to camp out. But then Gideon, again, he turns to God. He's like, God, like, I'm just not totally sure. He said, can I just get like one more sign? Just, just one more, only one more. And so, you know, he's like, this is the sign. He's like, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a sheep fleece. Lots of you probably know this story. I'm going to take a sheep fleece. I'm going to put it on the ground overnight. Tomorrow morning, when the dew comes, I want it to only be on the sheep fleece, nowhere else. This is like tall order. But he's like, just, just this is wet, nothing else. The ground is dry. So Gideon wakes up in the morning. God's done it. So Gideon's like, okay, I'm convinced now, right? No, he's like, God, maybe just like one more, one more sign, you know? He's really pushing the envelope here. He's like, I'm going to put the fleece out again. This time it's dry, the ground's wet. And he wakes up and God does it. This is, this is crazy. Like, I, I, you know, at this point, it's just like, you know, I expect the story to continue on. Like, how about one more, one more, you know? I don't know if Gideon's just stalling or whatever. Like I said, a lot of times we read these Bible stories and we're like, you know, this person's a hero. Like maybe when you're growing up, you heard like the story of David and Goliath and the bottom line is be brave like Dave. Or you hear the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife and you hear the bottom line like say no like Joe, you know, stuff like that, which you should say no like Joe. But that is not the point of the story. The hero of the story is always God. The bottom line of today's story sermon isn't gonna be like be like Gideon, go conquer Midian, you know, like that's not where we're headed this morning. We have a conflicted view of Gideon at this point in the story if we're, real, if we're real with ourselves. And I'm not here to like trash talk Gideon. I'm sure he's like a really nice guy, lots of great qualities. I'd hang out with him if I could. Um, he's long gone, but if I could, I would. But, you know, here's a guy who he is doing some of the stuff God's called him to do. But like we know that he struggles with doubt and insecurity. We know that he doesn't mind kind of like questioning who God is. He doesn't mind arguing back and forth, demanding signs from God. We know that he's super weak. Like, this guy's, like, who you want to, like, get into a fight with if you have to fight someone. This guy's a weakling. He's scared. And probably his dad's got, like, pagan worship objects in his house. He's probably worshiping false gods. You know, he's not really, like, your prototypical hero. He's not the Hercules of this story. So in chapter 7, it says that Gideon takes his army because God's given him these signs, and he goes out, and he camps kind of against the Midianites. In chapter 7, verse 2, it says, The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I'm going to pause there for a second. That's like a good, like, 
rule in hockey, too many men, you know, like don't have too many on the ice. This is like a too many men is good if you're like carpooling, you know, like you don't want to have too many people because it could get uncomfortable with like 30 people in your car. When you're going to war, too many men doesn't exist. That's not like a real statement. God says you have too many men. You're thinking, actually, God, he'll let you know a little bit about how war works. We would welcome more. So more would be great. God says you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. God knows his people. God's looking at them and saying, if you guys just go fight a war, where you guys are at, your hearts are evil. You're going to say, oh, look at how strong and how great we are. But here God sets it up and he says, I'm going to show you guys how great I am and how much you guys need me. So what happens next after he says, you have too many men, which is a crazy statement, he says, all right, Gideon, you've got these 30,000 guys. It's a, it's a decent-sized army. That's like Lloyd Minster. He's like, what I want you to do is say, if you guys are too scared, whoever's too scared, go home right now. And I'm thinking Gideon's probably like, like should I go home? Like, you know, but... <laughs> Um, this is great, you know, like, I mean, this is like the reverse draft. Like, it's just like, get out if you want. But anyways, Gideon's like, if you're too scared, go home. 20,000 people leave. Gideon's, got, Gideon's already scared. He's got this army of 30,000 people. Two-thirds of it leaves. At this point, he's just like, this is brutal. So he's like, all right, well, we got 10,000 guys. Let's go do this thing. And God's like, well, wait. At this point, I'm thinking, if I'm Gideon, I'm just like, what do you want now? You know, like, I was happy just beating up wheat in this hole in the ground. Now I'm down to 10,000 dudes. God's like, too many, too many. And they did this weird drinking test. You can read about it in uh, chapter 7. Uh, and almost the whole army leaves. And they're left with 300 guys. 300 guys. This is a tiny little army. And Gideon's like, okay, this is crazy. So this one night, God shows up. He says to Gideon, and you can read this while they're camped out above Midian. This is what uh, God says. I don't know where we're at. Verse 10. If you are afraid to, go, to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Purah and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Purah, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. I love this. If you're afraid, do this. And God, Gideon's like, yep. You know, if you're afraid, Gideon's like, I'm listening. Uh, go and check this out. So Gideon immediately goes down to this camp at night. Him and his pal, they go down. And it says that this army, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and these other people from the east, are, it, it said that their army is so massive you can't count it. It says, in fact, their camels, it says in chapter 7, are like outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore. So I don't know if you've ever tried to like count the beach. Uh, haven't, but apparently there are even more camels. There's a lot of camels. So uh, anyways, they, they go down to this massive army, and they're sneaking around, a little covert mission, and, and they stumble along, and they hear this story, this, this conversation these two guys are having. And the one Midianite says to the other, he says, hey, listen, man, I had this crazy dream. I had this dream that the Midianites, our army, was completely destroyed by this giant rolling loaf of bread. Most of us are like, that's weird. The celiacs in the room are like, yeah, no, I get that. You know, that's, that'd take us right out. This giant rolling loaf of bread. And the other guy says, well, this is a dream from God. Like, we're, that's what's going to happen. We're going to die. So Gideon's stoked. Finally, Gideon, this is like the point of the story. He's like, yes, he goes and worships God. Goes back to his army. He rallies the troops. He's like, guys, we're going to get it. And so he starts handing out Glass jars and trumpets and torches. I'm thinking, I'm in Gideon's army. I'm like, sword, please, you know, gun. But he hands out these objects. They probably have weapons. Hands out these objects. He's like, here's what's going to happen. We're going to surround. We're going to go to the edge of their camp. And when I give the signal, we're all going to 
blow the trumpet, break the jar, light the torches. And so they do this, like terrible plan, but they do this. And what happens is that the Amalekites and the other enemies, they wake up, they go into this frenzy, and they just start hacking each other to death, like just slaughtering themselves. And this is one thing I love about the Bible. It doesn't like hold back any details because basically I'm going to sum up the rest of the story pretty quickly. Um, the rest of chapter 7 and chapter 8 is basically just this story of this ongoing slaughter. The Israelites start chasing after them, and they just kill everybody. Like, they just go to town, and they even, like, there's some crazy stuff in chapter 8 where they, like, go back and kill some other enemies. Like, this isn't enough, and there's so much slaughter. It says at one point in chapter 8, there were 120,000 swordsmen that fell. 120,000. This probably isn't a full count because that's just the swordsmen. An army of 300 people. 120,000 plus people, multiple nations fall to these guys. This is a crazy story. Unfortunately, it kind of has a somber ending at the end of chapter 8. What happens is Gideon and his family start kind of struggling in their faith and worshiping incorrectly. And it, he builds this thing called an ephod. You can read about it. And it says it became a snare to him. It kind of has a, an unfortunate end. And then, but, but God gives him 40 years of peace. And then Gideon dies. And it says, no sooner did he die than the Israelites again started to worship false gods. The story of Gideon is so interesting to me because Gideon really isn't that great. The Israelites really aren't that great. These are people who are struggling with pagan worship. These are people who struggle with fear and insecurity and doubt. And God shows up and helps them. This, this really isn't a story of God helping people who help themselves. I want to reflect, remember I was talking earlier in chapter 7, Gideon goes down into the camp at night and they hear the one guy explain his dream to the other guy. And he tells him about this dream that God gave him. And I want to look at chapter 7, verse 14 and see how his friend replied. His friend said, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, because he has taken initiative and is so strong and courageous and amazing, God really had no choice but to hop in and give him a hand in winning this battle. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, that was a good Donald Trump impression. Um, just making sure you guys are still awake. This is not what Judges 7.14 says. This is what it says. This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. It, this is not a story of God being like, wow, look at Gideon killing it out there, man. Like, that guy rules. That guy's so strong. That guy's so amazing. He, he, he's got such great faith. Because he's doing so much, I'm going to hop in. I'm obligated to go help him because he's helping himself. No, he finds this scared, weakest of his clan, weakest clan in the tribe, guy who's struggling, and says, I'm going to do great things, and I want to invite you into this journey. This is a cool story because it really is just a story about how God is the hero, and Gideon's along for this amazing ride, and he got to be part of something really cool and really significant. What I want to do is I want to take this statement, God helps those who help themselves. That's fake news. And I want to deconstruct that a little bit. And what I want to do is I want to offer four alternative statements. The three are kind of alternative, first three are kind of alternatives. And the last one is the one that I want to land on. If you've got the bulletin or app notes, there's some space in there for that. Um, but these, I think, would be a better, more appropriate way of understanding what Scripture says about how God offers help. And the first one, I would say, is God helps those who cannot help themselves. Not God helps those who help themselves, but God helps those who cannot help themselves. Isaiah 25, 4 says, You have been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy and their distress. 
Not you're a refuge for those who are out there like doing great things. Not you're a refuge for like the strong and the courageous. You're a refuge for the poor, the needy, and those in distress. And what great news that is because this is the gospel message. God helping those who help themselves mean that not a single one of us in this room would ever experience the saving grace of God. If that was true, we would be lost and without hope for all eternity. At the start of Romans 5, Paul talks about how when we were powerless, we were helpless, we could do nothing, that's when Jesus showed up and he saved us and he offered us grace through what he did on the cross. God helps those who cannot help themselves and what great news that is for us who are a people who cannot, in our, help, in our helplessness, our hopelessness, our sinfulness, our brokenness, we cannot help ourselves. The second, one I, the second alternative I would offer is God helps us help ourselves. Proverbs 3, 5, 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Maybe you're out there and you're thinking, I'm just killing it in the game. You know, I'm so good. I'm generous. I'm doing all this good stuff. You know, I'm out there making my path straight. That is not how it works. In and of ourselves, we are sinful, helpless, broken people. And God offers to go out and construct straight paths for us. Life, like a, a path to a life full of fulfillment and meaningfulness and hope and an eternal hope. And he's laying a straight path and invites us to walk along it with him. It's not like he looks out there and he's like, oh, look at Ryan. Like, look at that straight path. Maybe I can walk on it with him. And he gets out there and he lays it out for us. And the third one I would say is God helps us help others. 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. Not, not we love and Jesus loved us. Not like he loves us. We, all, we love because he first loved us. Maybe you're out there and you just think, man, like I'm so generous and I'm giving and I'm kind and I'm such a good friend. I'm such a good spouse. I do this for my... You don't. You're lucky that God has given you the opportunity to do good and to share his love and kindness with others. And our posture of that should be gratitude towards God, not thinking, oh, I in and of myself am conjuring up this great goodness. We talk about thinking out here at FPC. It's not, it's not oh, you know, go out and do all these things, and if you are, maybe God will show up and partner with you. It's this idea that God's grace is so big, his love is so amazing, that he can fill you with it and give you opportunities to be a part of what he's doing and express that to others. We do not conjure up this good. We, we, we cannot help ourselves. And the way I would really wrap up this statement is just by saying God helps. That's it. God helps. Maybe not always in the way we think he should, at the time we think he should, in the way we want him to. It's a God who loves his creation. He shows up when Gideon's in a hole in the midst of a people who are worshiping pagan gods. He shows up in my life when I'm choosing sin rather than him and says, Ryan, I want to change your life and I want to build relationship with you. He shows up in the midst of our church when we're struggling with doubt or insecurity, tensions in our families and says, I'm here. And if you guys want to be a part of what I'm doing, hop in. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you are a God that helps. Thank you for your good news that is so true and so eternal and, and so perfect and so wonderful. I pray that we would be a church that is committed to knowing you and to knowing your truth, to knowing your news, and, and would not be taken away by statements like this that try to undermine the character of who you are. We love you, God. Amen. Before you go, I just want to take one minute. Um, you know, if you've been here for a while, you'll know that Doug and I have been 
saying that if you consider yourself to be a part of FBC or you are planning on being a part of FBC or planning to stick around, we want every single person in this church to be every week praying for three people that you know who don't know Jesus. Three people every week that don't know Jesus. If you want to be a part of FPC, this is what you want, we want you to be doing with us. This is, if we believe in a God who is interested in helping his people into reaching out to those who cannot help themselves, reaching out to a lost and broken and needy world, then we want to invite you guys in one of the most powerful and effective ways you can to join God in that work in Lloydminster. So if you haven't put a weekly notification in your phone to remind you to pray for your three people, if you haven't uh, put it on the mirror of your bathroom or wherever you can remember, think of those three people and please be praying for them every week, especially as we get ready to kick off for the fall. Um, Perfect time for them to come and hang out with us here at FBC. Anyways, have an amazing week, guys, and get ready for some more fake news next week.